Hello and welcome to the Family Planning Files, a podcast from the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning. The National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning is one of the training centers funded through the Office of Population Affairs to provide programming to enhance the knowledge of family planning staff. I'm your host, Katherine Atchison. In response to the emergence of COVID-19 or novel coronavirus, the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning is releasing a series of podcasts to help clinicians adapt their services to telehealth delivery and other care models. On today's podcast, we're discussing person-centered family planning counseling via telehealth with Dr. Christine Dellendorf. Dr. Dellendorf is a family physician with advanced training in family planning care and clinical research. She's a faculty member at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine and director of the Person-Centered Reproductive Health Program at the Bixby Center for Global Reproductive Health, in addition to her clinical practice. Dr. Dellendorf also conducts research around contraceptive counseling, particularly around the relationship of patient race, ethnicity, and or socioeconomic status, and provider recommendations for contraceptive methods. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Dellendorf. We're so excited to talk with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So just to start with, can you define what exactly person-centered counseling is in a family planning setting? Absolutely. So in general, the concept of person-centered care comes from the idea of patient-centered care. And patient-centered care has really been recognized over the past few decades as a core dimension of quality and was defined as such by the Institute of Medicine in their 2001 report, Crossing the Quality Chasm. And patient-centered care is providing care that is responsive and accountable to patients' own needs, values, and preferences, as opposed to what healthcare providers or health systems might want those values or preferences to be. The concept of person-centeredness expands that, recognizing that patients are people and that their time in the healthcare system is important, but they also bring with them all of their lived experiences and influences when they come in to see us. And then they go back out into their world and interact with others in their communities. And so that we really need to be thinking more broadly, not as individuals, as patients, but as the people that they are and the lives that they lead outside the healthcare system. And why is person-centered counseling so important, especially within family planning? Why does it get better results than, say, other counseling methods? Well, I think the first thing to think about is the fact that person-centered care in general is really an ethical responsibility of our healthcare system. Our healthcare system and healthcare providers should be meeting the needs of the people that we're serving. It shouldn't be just paying attention to what clinical outcomes there are or what public health outcomes, but also whether or not the people that we're serving are having the outcomes that they themselves want to have. So there's definitely clearly an ethical reason for us to be attending to the degree to which we are paying attention to patients and people's needs. In addition, as you alluded to, studies have found that when we do that, when we pay attention to people's needs, people in fact do better on some of the clinical indicators that we tend to focus on in the healthcare system. I often use the example of diabetes. I'm a family physician. And the fact that our healthcare system very much focuses on measures of blood glucose control, like hemoglobin A1C, as a metric of how well we are doing caring for someone. 
But in fact, there are many things that affect how patients themselves feel that their diabetes is being managed beyond hemoglobin A1C, including pill burdens, side effects of medications, and whether or not they ever have to go into the hospital for low blood sugars, which can be a result of trying to aggressively control people's blood sugars. They can sometimes get too low and have adverse consequences for a person. So when we do a better job of paying attention to people's holistic lived experience of a condition like diabetes, they're better able able to manage their blood sugar or whatever the case may be, and therefore, in fact, have a better score on their hemoglobin A1C or blood glucose control more generally because we are attending to their actual needs and preferences as they themselves define them. In the context of family planning and contraceptive care specifically, this is obviously even of more importance, I would argue, than in other areas of health care. Talking to people about their reproductive choices, including contraceptive choices, means talking to them about fertility, about sexuality, about relationships, about their feelings about menstruation, a huge range of very personal things that have implications for their reproductive autonomy. And so if we are not focused on people themselves and how they experience contraceptive choice and contraceptive use, then we are going to be ignoring the things that really make a difference in terms of people's human rights to being able to make and act on their reproductive decisions. So what are the best practices for person-centered counseling in a family planning setting? So providing person-centered counseling is really, to a large extent, about an attitude and a perspective that we take in terms of how we approach the person that we are providing care for. So is this, are we treating this person as a patient and somebody who's along our pathway of providing care and our multiple visits throughout the day? Or are we recognizing the person as a unique individual with unique needs, values, and preferences, and who is coming to us in a moment of potential vulnerability for us to help them to evaluate how best to achieve the health outcomes that they want to have? And so going into it with that big picture perspective can change a lot of how we think about the process of communicating about whatever health condition it is. So one way that that really can show up is in terms of just even how when we first walk in the door or in the case of telehealth, get on the phone or video, how do we start off the conversation? Do we start off with diving right in to the clinical question at hand with very concrete questions? Or do we take a moment to acknowledge the person as a person, to make some small talk about their lives that acknowledges that they have lives that they come from and lives that they will go back to and allow this person that's in front of us to feel that they are seen as a independent person in the world that has value. In addition to that kind of starting place, best practices for patient-centered care and person-centered care include carrying that attitude through the whole process of counseling. So how we ask questions about what's important to people. Do we make assumptions and lead with things such as, well, this is the best method, so I think you should use this? Or do we say, tell me what you're thinking about your contraceptive choices? So open-ended questions are a really valuable tool to acknowledge people's individuality and humanity. Another thing that's really important is affirmations. So when patients tell us something that is maybe personal or sensitive, being able to authentically react to whatever they're telling us in a way that makes the person feel safe, makes the patient feel heard, and makes the patient feel appreciated is very important 
And that's both because from an ethical perspective, making people feel that way is really an important thing, but also because by doing that, we are allowing people to open up to us in a way that makes them feel comfortable expressing what's important to them so that we can then adjust our care to be able to ensure that it meets those needs, values, and preferences. And what are some of the barriers or challenges around providing person-centered counseling in family planning? Well, one is just the reality of time. We know that we're busy. We know that actually contraceptive choice is incredibly complicated. There are a lot of different options that are available to the vast majority of individuals if they don't have significant contraindications to contraceptive methods. And so providing people with decision support around contraceptive choice requires a fair bit of attention to detail and can seem overwhelming with the limited time we often have as healthcare providers with our patients. Given that, it's really important to be very targeted in the information that we provide, recognizing that we don't actually need to give all patients all information to provide patient-centered care. That what we need to be able to do is provide patients with the information that they need to make the decision for themselves. And so different people will need different information and being responsive to each individual person can help us to manage the time stress associated with being a healthcare provider in our system. Another barrier is the fact that we all, healthcare providers, are also people. And so we carry with us biases, assumptions, our own lived experience of contraceptive use or the contraceptive use of people that we care about. And that means that those biases, because they are impossible to avoid because we are people, those biases can impact our care of our patients. So working to be very conscious of what our lived experiences are and what our biases are and working not to overcome and completely suppress those biases, because that's not always going to be feasible, but working to manage the way that those biases impact the care that we're providing is incredibly important and can be accomplished through a lot of self-reflection, humility, and honesty about what we are feeling at any given point in time. And so we need to really be conscious about the way that these biases can impact our care and have a lot of humility about that and not feel that having these biases makes us bad people or bad providers, but rather presents an opportunity to improve the care we provide by being reflective. In addition to the biases that we may have about individual methods um, and method use, I also just want to highlight the reality that we also carry biases with us associated with patients and their characteristics. And that includes race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. And research that's been done has very clearly documented in healthcare broadly and in family planning specifically that providers, even well-intentioned providers who don't feel explicitly biased, carry with them implicit racial bias that impacts the care that we provide, including providing differential counseling towards specific methods. And again, this is not a conscious thing. This is a reality of being a person in our world in which race is an organizing construct And this is something that we need to recognize, again, have humility about and work to manage the implications for our patients and the care that they receive and be very proactive about making sure that communities that are negatively impacted by these biases, particularly communities of color, that they receive the person-centered care focused on their needs, values, and preferences that they deserve. 
So we've done a, a nice overview of person-centered counseling in general. However, we are living through COVID right now, and many of our clinician listeners are either doing all or part of their clinical services via telehealth, either video or telephonic methods. How does person-centered counseling look different during telehealth versus in-person visits? It's such an important question, and I think that so many of us providing healthcare in this day and age have recognized that the rapid shift to telehealth associated with COVID presents huge opportunities for flexibility in the ways that our healthcare system meets patients' needs. And that's a very positive thing that has come out of this very difficult time. However, there are also real challenges associated with both the speed at which this has happened and just the reality that there are added challenges with providing care that people need, and especially in a person-centered way, using modalities that haven't been the standard of care in the past. And so obviously we need to be very proactive, especially in the context of reproductive health care in which there is already challenges to access, in which there are already issues related to stigmatization, to make sure that the shift to telehealth is proactive about addressing potential threats to people getting the care that they need and threats to that care being focused on their needs, values, and preferences. So ways to approach that include, again, this focus on the rapport building and the recognizing people as people at the beginning of a visit. That is even more important in the context of telehealth, where there is not that in-person interaction with the attendant body language and the attendant feelings of connection that can come from being in the same room with someone. And so we have to absolutely increase our attention to the ways in which our body language or verbal communication can and should make patients feel that we are listening, that we are there, and that we hear them and recognize recognize them as people, especially in this time in which so many people are struggling with isolation and anxiety related to the pandemic that we are all experiencing. So that is one approach that needs to really be highlighted and foregrounded in terms of how we provide telehealth services for contraception. I would also encourage people to think about the fact that a lot of what we can do in contraceptive counseling to help people manage the huge amounts of information that we need to provide to help them choose a method includes use of visual aids or actually having methods in the room, for example, Google searches that we show people methods on the computer or actually having job aids with us in the room. And that can be more challenging in the context of providing care through telephones or through videos. So having the ability in whatever system you're in to have resources sent out to patients, either by email, patient portal, or in text that they can reference when you're talking to them, or having other approaches to managing that inability to have a shared viewing of resources that can help patients parse through the information you're giving them can be really important and help people be able to manage the decision-making process. An additional challenge I will just mention briefly is the importance of thinking about confidentiality in the context of telehealth and contraceptive care. We know that people are now sheltering in place. We know that people are experiencing family stress. We know that there is an increase in interpersonal violence because of the sheltering in place that's happening in the isolation. And so providing care re related to sexuality and reproduction requires attention to making sure that we ask questions to assess how comfortable people feel talking to us about a particular issue at the time they're talking to us, trying to assess directly or indirectly whether patients are in a safe environment, 
asking yes, no questions when there's a challenging situation that may suggest that patients aren't able to communicate openly with us. And just overall being careful about the way that we provide these services to safeguard patients' confidentiality and safety. So kind of piggybacking off of our last question, how can providers support patients in thinking about their reproductive options, their reproductive life during the COVID pandemic and the unique circumstances in which many patients have now found themselves? That's a great question because I think it really gets at the fact that when we were providing contraceptive care, we have to remember that it's not only about preventing pregnancy, it's more broadly about people's ability to achieve their reproductive goals and act on their reproductive autonomy. And we have to recognize that this global stress that we're experiencing is going to influence people's thinking about their reproduction and that we should be able to support them and answer their questions that they might have in that context. And I've certainly heard anecdotally about providers that have been very directive with patients about not getting pregnant in the time of COVID because of it being high risk. And I have very real concerns about taking any type of directive approach when it comes to reproduction. And I think that the reality is we're in an unprecedented time with a lot of uncertainties and unknowns, and people are going to react to that differently in the context of making reproductive decisions. For some people, choosing to have a pregnancy at this time and to give birth can be an act of affirmation of life and something that would actually help them with coping. And there's no reason that we can think right now that we should take a two-year hiatus as a population from not having any pregnancies. So I think talking to people about the uncertainties that we have related to our healthcare system, related to the impact of COVID on pregnancies, related to infection risk in general, when vaccines are going to be available, all of that. Talking with people who want to talk to us about their pregnancy decision making, about all of those unknowns and supporting them given all of those unknowns and thinking about when and how they may want to have a pregnancy or, and a child in the future can really be a powerful intervention that we can do as long as we, again, focus in doing it on what patients themselves want, what questions they have, and also recognizing that as much as we want answers in this time, we are not at a place where there are a lot of answers. And so what we can do is provide people with some guardrails for how they're thinking about their reproductive lives and provide them with the support they need to think that through. We've talked a lot about how person-centered counseling, especially around all these different methods out there, but there are certainly some special considerations clinicians might have during this time around particular methods like IUDs or DEPO. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, I think it's really important to think about the fact that as we've been pairing back in-person services, which I think has obviously been important for us to do in the context of ensuring both access to care within our healthcare system for patients that need it and preventing risk of infection for people in the healthcare system, we have to recognize that that has potential implications for choice of method because some methods require healthcare system contact. And how are we going to think about that going forward? I feel very strongly that in the current situation in the pandemic in the United States, we're at a point where we do not and should not limit access to any method that requires in-person contact due to the healthcare system. We have adequate resources. We have ways of protecting patients. And to protect reproductive autonomy, we should make sure that patients who want an IUD or an implant are able to get it. And we should also equally and equivalently make sure that patients who want to have an IUD or implant removed, either to um, not use anything or to use a different method, that they have access to that. You know, I could imagine a worst case scenario where we were in a situation where we would not be providing either of those services because all doctors were on COVID duty in theory. 
I hope we never get to that point. I don't expect that we will, but we are clearly not at that point right now. So there is no reason to put a limit on reproductive autonomy, either to use a long-acting reversible contraceptive method or to remove one in the current context. The other thing to keep in mind is for DEPO specifically, is that we do have a self-injection option for DEPO that would require patients to have less interaction with the healthcare system. So that's something I definitely encourage people to think about, explore in their own context, whether it's available, whether it's covered, and how to best train people in how to and how to use that method if they do want instead to try self-injection of sub-Q DEPO as opposed to coming in for their IM injections. Um, I would also just say that both in terms of depo and IUDs and implants, insertions and removals, we of course should also counsel patients about if there is potential risk associated with the healthcare system in the given geography that they are, so that they can factor that into their decision themselves, so that we offer the services, but we also offer patients all the information they need to make decisions about what is the best method for them at this time, including any increased infection risk that they may have by um, engaging with healthcare. Well, you've provided a lot of really great information for us, Dr. Dellendorf, but our time is almost up today. But before you go, what are your top three takeaways about person-centered counseling during this time of COVID for our listeners to think about? So the first one I would say is that we have a very important role as family planning providers in safeguarding reproductive autonomy in this difficult time, and that reproductive health care is essential health care services. And so by talking to our patients and providing person-centered care, we are providing a service that is necessary, that is ethical, and that advances the goals of reproductive autonomy. The second I would say is that it's going to be harder to sometimes know what patients need in this context. And we may have to work harder, both interpersonally when we're talking to patients to figure out how to support them in their decision-making process, but also to make sure that patients for whom we are providing telehealth know how to have access to in-person services when they in fact want to. And so recognizing that this disruption or the way that our system is providing care and the way that our society is functioning has the potential to decrease access to services services that are needed and that we can help to bridge that for patients. And the third one is that this pandemic has reminded us of the incredibly powerful ways in which access to resources, including healthcare, safe housing. And the third one is that we need to be paying attention to all the ways that people's access to resources, including adequate food, adequate housing, adequate transportation, impacts people's experience of health and healthcare. And obviously this has been made all too clear by the disproportionate impact of COVID on communities of color and low-income communities. And they are the same factors that impact people's abilities to use contraception and to actualize their reproductive goals. So I just encourage us to continue to pay attention to the, the way that social determinants of health and resources influence people's ability to manage this pandemic, manage their reproductive health and achieve reproductive autonomy, and the ways that those different things intersect with each other as well, so that we can provide person-centered care for individuals that also acknowledges their context and helps them to manage the barriers they have to achieving their goals. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Dollendorf, and for sharing your time and expertise. For more content, search for the Family Planning Files podcast or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For a transcript of this podcast, as well as other online learning activities and continuing education opportunities, please visit our website at www.ctcfp.org.
This podcast is supported by award number 5, FPTPA 006029-02-00 from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, Office of the Assistant Secretary of Health, or OASH, Office of Population Affairs, or OPA. Its contents are solely the responsibility of the presenters and do not necessarily represent the official views of HHS, OASH, or OPA. Theme music written by Dan Jones and performed by Dan Jones and the Squids. Other production support provided by the Collaborative to Advance Health Services at the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Nursing and Health Studies. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of The Family Planning Files. (laughs) 